the Cell Phone Junkie Podcast, episode 585 for August 27th, 2017. Android 8 is officially Oreo, Verizon modifies its unlimited plans, and Samsung announces the Galaxy Note 8. My name is Mickey Papillon. And I'm Joey Kappas. Brought to you each week by the Cell Phone Junkie podcast application, available now for Android, iOS, and Windows Phone 8 for $1.99. Well, Google on Monday announced that Oreo will be the full name of Android version 8. So Android 8.0 Oreo was announced earlier this year and made available in beta uh, form in May. And members of that beta program have received updates to what is now known as the final version of Android 8 Oreo this past Monday. So when they announced it, it was kind of suspicious. They announced the uh, the name was going to be d- during the eclipse. And of course, when there's a full eclipse going on, it kind of looks like an Oreo. Right. And I we talked about it last week. We said it's probably going to be Oreo. Didn't talk about that particular piece of it together, but made a lot of sense. And obviously, as soon as that kind of all came together, you kind of went, oh, right, Oreo. There you go. Anyway, Nexus and Pixel users will receive the update and will be rolling out in phases over the next couple of weeks. Google has been working with all of its partners to enable updates for other phones. In the coming weeks and months, other manufacturers will roll out their updates to their phones as well. And by the end of the year, phones from Essential, Huawei, HTC, Kyocera, Motorola, Nokia, Samsung, Sharp, and Sony will all have Oreo. The update includes such features as picture-in-picture, improved autofill, as well as improvements for developers and overall performance. Well, researchers at Northeastern University have demonstrated a new type of radio antenna that operates in the frequencies used for some cellular networks and Wi-Fi, but is up to 100 times smaller than current antenna designs. The new antenna can be manufactured on a single chip, approximately one millimeter across. It receives radio signals by first converting radio waves to acoustic waves, then to electrical signals, and in the same in reverse for then transmitting. Uh, The existing method for converting directly between radio and electronic signals requires an antenna with the physical length of one-tenth of a radio wavelength. The new technique produces the properties of an acoustic wave to permit the antenna made of a piezomagnetic membrane that's just one one-thousandth of the physical length of the radio wavelength. The piezomagnetic material is joined with the piezoelectric material to create the necessary electrical link. The technology could shrink the size of phones and wearables as well, and it may open up lower frequencies, which today require antennas way too large to carry around on such devices such as a phone. Very interesting stuff when you think about the physics of how electromagnetic radiation is received, how radio frequencies are, are received and used, and how any of this stuff actually works is still a, a miracle. Uh, but either way, it's it, it, it's very interesting that we are now taking this to the next level in a kind of a, a way of doing this for the last you know number of decades could be changed dramatically by this new type of technology. Right. I mean, when we first got into, uh, you know, digital uh, cell phones and even analog cell phones, they still had, you know, antennas that you pulled up to get you, uh, you know, slightly better signal. And uh, it was kind of amazing when we first had our uh, first integrated antenna phones. And then all of a sudden the little stubby thing went away and then they're just inside the phone and there's nothing anymore. And it's, uh, you know, it's pretty quick progression from from that to what we have now. And then, of course, now as we keep adding different 
uh, signals and frequency ranges, we need more and more ways to communicate with those those signals. And of course, the internal antennas can can do this. Uh, but to make it that much smaller is really fascinating for things that are going to get smaller and smaller. Like if you're thinking of you know internet connected devices that are you know chip size, you could start doing that with really really tiny antennas like this. And you think about, you know, this conversation of the external antenna now to the, the, you know, we're at an internal antenna. That's really in the last 15 years, if you think about kind of the turn of, uh, you know, into the year 2000, you know, we still had, you know, Motorola StarTax and the like that had the extendable antennas. And and so there's a, a whole group of people, anyone really born after the year 2000 has probably never seen a device that has an, ex, you know, an external extendable antenna. Same thing with cars. I mean, you used to have antennas on cars that were external and screwed in or, you know, on the, the top of a vehicle. And now it's all just integrated into the windshield or it's on a little stuff on the very back of it to integrate the satellite uh, you know antenna as well so it's a it's a very different world with antennas they're not what they used to be for sure Right. I was watching a movie. It was uh, called Hidden Figures and they had the a cop car from the, the, the 50s. And of course, there's the I, I think the 30 megahertz antenna that goes from the back bumper and they tie it all the way to the front of the car. And there's, you know, this huge, you know, 12 foot antenna. And uh, yeah, I'm glad we don't have that on our cell phones. Yeah. <laughs> or in a vehicle to, in order to make these things work. It's, uh, you know, uh, so much of our lives are, are you, you know, in a uh, in and around using these devices that obviously the the ergonomics, the aesthetics of it are very important. And so we've definitely seen that. I mean, you, you think about taking a modern device, whether it's an Android device or an iPhone or anything and, and give it back to somebody just 15 years ago. They I'm sure would be just in awe of this thing just to, to see what it looks like and just how amazingly, uh, you know, complex of a device it is. And it's, uh, you know, uh, again, we take this a lot for granted uh, in something that we use every single day. It has become a tool for us in many ways, our, our main point of communication and and really something that we use more than just about anything else in our lives. And and so uh, to, to see where we've come over the last 10, 15 years is just unbelievable. Anyway, moving on. Verizon on Tuesday releasing modified unlimited plans that are more expensive and complex, offering changes to some of the features. The standard unlimited plan now costs $85 a month instead of the previous $80 a month. It's also been renamed to Beyond Unlimited. It gives you unlimited calls, texts, and full speed LTE data up to 22 gigabytes per month, after which data speeds may be throttled on busy towers. The plan includes HD video, but HD on phones is now limited to 720p resolution, even for customers with older plans that did not previously limit video. Tablets and connected laptops are allowed video at 1080p. The plan includes 15 gigs of mobile hotspot data, so that's an improvement. It's up from 10 gigs, and that changes retroactive for customers who have the old plans as well. The company also unveiled a cheaper Go Unlimited plan. This is $75 a month, so 10 bucks cheaper. It's got uh, 4G LTE data, but it will throttle data speeds at any time the network is busy, not just after 22 gigabytes, as with the more expensive plan. The cheaper plan also limits video to SD resolution, that's 480p, and throttles mobile hotspot down to just 600 kilobits per second. All of these prices require paperless billing and auto pay or an extra $5 per month fee applies. The changes to customers on current plans go into effect 
immediately. So let's talk about the impacts to the consumer here. So this is really all about managing traffic and congestion on their network, which Verizon still claims they have the best network in the U.S., but just six months after the unlimited plans got rolled out for both Verizon and AT&T, the data speeds have slowed dramatically, according to the Open Signal reports that we've talked about recently. For comparison, AT&T now has an entry-level unlimited plan at $60 per month, but video on there is capped at 480p, and speeds are always limited to 3 megabits per second. As for LTE level speed, you'll need to pay $90 a month for a single line, which gets you HD video streaming. Sprint still offers an unlimited plan too, of course. Uh, It has HD video, but it caps music streaming at 1.5 megabits per second, and gaming is capped at 8 megabits per second. So what is Verizon doing? How can they get away with this here? So if you think about, you know, what the FCC has, you know, they, they don't really care about some of these violations today. This is a Title II, uh, you know, rule, basically, that they're conceivably violating. But uh, when you think about how the FCC is being run and how they're looking at this stuff, it's likely that some of these rules will be rolled back anyway. So from a practical perspective, for most people using the service, you're never going to notice that you're you're going to have these limitations. How many people are out there that are going over 22 gigabytes? It's, you know, less than 3% of people. And further, the experience is actually probably better for most people. People when you lower down the bitrate on the stream. This is something that I have found with T-Mobile is that video is a lot more reliable. It actually works a lot better because it's it's limited to a, a lesser uh, bitrate. So I think the, the type of management um, you know, was inevitable for them, um, but it isn't going to be pretty as we go through this process. Right. But and for me, it feels like they, they're going about it kind of the, the wrong way. It, it's like the plans... Uh, that used to be called unlimited and they weren't unlimited. They, they would, they, they were, you know, you were limited to what, two gigabytes. Do you remember that when, you know, AT&T, here's your iPhone unlimited plan. Well, it's two gigabytes. Well, unlimited is not two gigabytes. And it, it, it just, if they came out and said, okay, we've got this wonderful, uh, you know, data saving tool uh, that you can have, uh, you know, as much data as you want, as long as you use the, the you know, it, it just, they're, they're going about it the wrong way. And the biggest difference between what T-Mobile is doing and what Verizon is doing, they're limiting your video stream, but they're still making that data count against your cap. Now, it's going to be a lot less data because the, the bit rate is a lot less. But the, the way that it, T-Mobile has marketed this thing, whether it's the, you know, the binge on or the music freedom, is that any of that type of traffic that gets used on your device doesn't count towards your monthly allotment. And so it, it they're going about it in a very different way. And Verizon has been, and, and by the way, you can go ahead and turn it off if you want. Verizon's not offering you any way to turn it off. That's the other, that's the other kind of piece of this that just doesn't feel very good. So um, now th- that's in like an official turn it off way. There are ways to get around it. Uh, if you use a VPN, the traffic going across the network um, will not uh, be accessible to Verizon as far as what type of traffic it is. And it will allow the customer to get a higher quality stream, just as if that customer was on Wi-Fi, as, a, as an example, over a local network. But how many people are going to do that? It's going to be a very small percentage of people that are going to do it. And ultimately, it just it doesn't it doesn't this whole process that they've done, it doesn't really feel like a good consumer-friendly approach to doing this. It's great that there's an unlimited plan. Not sure why it's $5 more other than they're trying to force people to save 10 bucks a month to go with the $75 option, which does all sorts of different things that allow them to manage the network better. Like, hey, we're going to manage it at any point and you've got even a less amount of uh, video stream that you can use and your mobile hotspot data is, is you know pretty restricted. The The other side of this that re- that is really n- not being contemplated is that 
you are there's an amount of data that you're basically being told. So 22 gigabytes, and then after that, we can manage the network. What does Verizon care how quickly you get to that point? If if they are saying if this is your cutoff, and after that, we're going to manage it however we feel, and you agree to that, what do they care what you do until you get to that point? So to have this complete inability to change how video is being used on it is is really where the, the fundamental issue lies with this. And again, the vast majority of people are never going to even realize that any of this stuff is in play they're going to if anything they're going to say wow i get five more gigabytes of mobile hotspot data to use and how verizon sees that as a benefit uh but not being able to turn it off and let someone burn through their data faster is kind of beyond me here but it's a very interesting way that that, to your point that they've gone about it and just it doesn't feel good no and it's not it's not consumer friendly at all and it really is you know, it's it's like we talked about. It is kind of the uh, the slippery slope to you know uh, managing um, you know data traffic that is not in uh, the spirit of net neutrality, where you know each individual service then becomes kind of different. It, granted, this isn't specifically calling out Netflix, but we you know know from the trials that they did uh, you know a couple weeks ago that you know Netflix you cannot exceed ten megabits per second uh, going to a Netflix domain. That's the problem right there. It's it, it, and of course there's probably a few other uh, video domains as well that they're doing it to, but that's then limiting traffic to that particular uh, thing, and that's just not what's uh, supposed to happen. And so ultimately, if you've got an issue with this, probably time to start looking at another carrier because it, I doubt that Verizon's going to change their tune at this on this at all. So uh, it's something that you're going to have to live with if you want to be on Verizon. Next up, Virgin Mobile Wednesday announcing that customers who bring existing iPhones and transfer their phone number from another carrier will receive one year of unlimited talk, text, and data for just $1. That's with AutoPay enabled. The limited time promotion is available until August 31st. The deal is available to customers who purchase a brand new iPhone at full cost from Virgin, uh, which sells the iPhone 7, 7 Plus, 6S, and 6S Plus uh, for the same prices as Apple does. They also sell the iPhone SE for only $279. That's $120 off the regular $399 price that Apple sells the SE for. Uh, Most iPhones from the 5S and newer are compatible, but potential customers should use Virgin's website to check specific compatibility first. Uh, Through September 29th, SIM activation kits for existing iPhones are also free. Uh, Virgin customers can receive six months of service at $1 uh, each time they upgrade to a new iPhone. So the other thing that uh, I read is that there was also um, the that you would be able to bring an existing iPhone and take advantage of this offer as well. You don't have to buy one through them. Um, but that only lasts until August 31st as well. And then after that, the, the deal is only good. Uh, again, it's only for six months and then it's only when you buy a phone. So if you're looking to uh, switch over to Virgin and get a year of service, I actually thought about doing this just with an extra phone, but no real reason other than just because I could. Uh, but if you are interested in it, get that done in the next couple of days. In device news, let's stick with Apple news. Uh, The iPhone 8 and more rumors, the supply chain leaks are suggesting the device will be available in three storage capacities. Um, This is not dissimilar to what we've heard in the past. Uh, And the same amount of memory, though, as the current iPhone 7 Plus. So the minimum storage capacity for the OLED iPhone is said to be 64 gigs with a 256 gig option offered as the mid-tier and a 512 at the top. And they're also saying three gigs of RAM is said to be included across the board for all three 
three of those storage options. Then Cage Guy Securities Analyst Ming-Chi Ku has also put the iPhone 8's memory at 3 gigs, uh, while the larger iPhone 7 Plus is expected to remain at the 3 gigs. The smaller iPhone 7S will continue to offer only 2 gigs of RAM, something uh, that has been in the device for now a couple of years. Ku has claimed that the DRAM transfer speed of all three models will be faster than the iPhone 7 by about 10 to 15 percent for better augmented reality performance. Now, regarding the announcement and release of the 8, Mac Forever is citing that Tuesday, September 12th is the date of when we will hear the announcement. So that is two weeks from this coming Tuesday or uh, the week after Labor Day. That would then have pre-orders starting, if all goes the same as it has in the past, at 3 a.m. Eastern on Friday, September 15th. And subsequently, the device would go on sale in stores and ship to customers Friday, September 22nd. So September 12th, uh, pre-orders on the 15th, and in stores on September 22nd. Uh, As well as the new iPhones, the September event should also feature a third new generation Apple Watch with cellular LTE radios, though uh, the speculation at this point is that that will be for data only and will not function for phone calls, and also a 4K Apple TV. It's interesting because this is the first time um, in a long time that I've actually, you know, kind of been following the Apple announcements where I've said, all three of these devices that are rumored are ones that I would actually consider upgrading to. I've been holding off on the Apple TV, waiting for a 4K version. I've also been holding off on a 4K actual television set until I had something that I could actually use it with. I had no interest in Blu-ray and all that. So this could be a very expensive September for Mickey because obviously I'm, I've been patiently waiting for these new phones. I've been now uh, two and a half years since I've had the Apple Watch and I still use it every day and would love to have one with built-in cellular on there as well. So there could be a lot of things to be purchased here very soon. There sure could be. And, you know, for I'm kind of in the same boat with the 4K TV. I do not have one yet. I've been thinking about upgrading one of the TVs I have to a slightly larger size and getting a 4K TV while I'm at it because why not at this point? Uh, For example, TCL has some very good priced 4K TVs at the moment and they've got a Roku built in with the uh, you know, the, the 4K Roku the, in there, uh, which can play the 4K Netflix if you want. And uh, of course, having a 4K Apple TV just makes sense now at this point because we do have 4K movies and we have 4K content out there uh, that, uh, you know, hopefully we'll see uh, that with iTunes because they did find some uh, some leaks of that. And I think Australia iTunes store, they found uh, references to 4K movies. We'll, we'll have to see if they'll upgrade people for free. They probably won't, but uh, that's one another thing that'll be coming. But with the Apple TV, it they should have had 4K when they announced the new generation Apple TV even. And it's just, a, it's it's staggering they did not have that option right out of the gate with the new version, let alone now, what, two, two years into that model or three years into that model? It's It's been too long. Yeah, it has been too long. And, uh, you know, either way, it's it, it certainly, I think, brings up a, you know, this, this kind of concept of, you know, then what happens on TV for them or with TV for them? Is there a, a TV that they're going to announce that has built in Apple TV, etc.? Uh, it's probably unlikely at this point. There hasn't been enough that we've seen on the rumor side at this point. We, we, we would know a lot more about it if it was coming. Well, it seems like they're getting out of displays. I mean, they don't even have a, an Apple display for sale separate anymore. So, I mean, that that uh, them selling a TV, it seems ludicrous to me. Yeah, indeed. Um, so if I remember right, it's usually about 10 days before the event uh, when they send out uh, those invites. So... I think later this week we should uh, know about this particular when the, the fact that this is going to get confirmed, hopefully for the 12th. 
Uh, if not, it'll be early next week, but next week is Labor Day. So if they do anything, it would be the day after Labor Day, but uh, may- maybe it's maybe it's closer to seven days before the event. But either way, it's going to be happening very soon. Uh, TCT Mobile and AT&T Thursday announced that the BlackBerry Key One phone will launch with AT&T on Friday, September 1st in an exclusive space black color. The Key One was previously only available unlocked or from Sprint. AT&T is selling the phone for $500. The last BlackBerry brand phone offered by AT&T was the Priv that was released in late 2015. Samsung Wednesday announcing the Galaxy Note 8, its top-of-the-line flagship smartphone with a massive 6.3-inch display and S Pen stylus. It moves the uh, smoother look of the same design language of the S8 and S8 Plus over to the Note line. The phone has two curved pieces of glass matted with an aluminum frame. Uh, Under the 6.3 inches of glass on the front is Samsung's Super AMOLED Infinity display with Quad HD Plus resolution. Uh, The Note 8 is among the first from Samsung to move to a dual camera configuration with twin full-color 12-megapixel sensors, one with a wide-angle f1.7 lens, the other with a telephoto uh, f2.4 lens. The cameras make use of optical image stabilization and electronic electronic image stabilization with the telephoto lens providing 2x optical zoom and up to 10x digital zoom. Unique shooting modes include live focus for select focus, i.e. the bokeh effect, and can be adjusted before or after the image is captured with a dual capture. It also lets people take a zoomed shot through the telephoto lens as well as a wide angle shot through the main lens. Samsung updated the S Pen stylus. The tip now measures 0.7 millimeters to provide the same feedback as most ballpoint pens. The phone is able to detect 4,096 different levels of pressure to record the input of the user more accurately. The S Pen can also create animated memos through a feature called Live Message. The messages can be transmitted and opened by most platforms and apps that support GIFs. Uh, The existing uh, screen off memo tool will let people create up to 100 pages of text without waking the screen and supports dynamic use cases such as crossing items off of a shopping list. The S Pen function can translate entire phrases now, as well as access more templates in the pen-up mode. Most of the phone's other specs mirror those of the S8 devices. Qualcomm Snapdragon 835 processor with 6 gigs of RAM, gigabit LTE, 3300 mAh battery with rapid wireless charging, and a rear-mounted fingerprint sensor that is directly adjacent to the camera's just like on the other S8 devices. The Note 8 and S Pen are waterproof. The security features include an iris and face unlock, as well as Knox 2.9. The phone is a dedicated Bixby key and upgraded Dext software that improves multitasking when used in PC mode. Pre-orders for the Note 8 are now live, and the device will go on sale September 15th. Samsung said an unlocked variant will go on sale when the carrier models do. Pricing wasn't disclosed, but Samsung plans to sell the black and gray versions in the U.S. with blue and gold versions that will be sold overseas. To sweeten the deal, Samsung will throttle, uh, excuse me, will throw in freebies. I've been thinking a lot about throttling. Be throwing in <laughs> freebies for pre-orders within the next few months. If you pre-order or buy a new Galaxy Note 8 at any time between August 24th and September 24th, it'll come with your choice of either a free Samsung Gear 360 camera or charging bundle, specifically the Galaxy Foundation Kit Bundle valued at $190. That contains a free 128GB EVO Plus memory card and wireless charging pad. The promotional period includes the time when the pre-orders go out with, to, as when major retailers like Best Buy and Walmart and other carriers uh, will also begin selling the device. That 
that happens uh, for all the carriers here in the States on uh, September 15th. Sprint is offering the device for $20 a month with zero down over 18 months when switching to the carrier, 50% off the regular lease price of the device. Most of the other carriers have the price uh, pegged between $35 and $40 per month. In other Android device news, according to EV Leaks, the next Google Pixel phones will be unveiled at an event held in early October. EV Leaks noted that devices uh, will likely be announced on October 5th and will be powered by an unannounced Qualcomm Snapdragon 836 chip. Given that the Snapdragon 821 was a slightly tweaked version of the 820, we can expect the 836 to perform similarly to the Snapdragon 835 that's been on most flagships this year. Also rumored to be announced, a new convertible Chromebook Pixel, uh, possibly with a unique keyboard section. Uh, this would make the de- the device Google's first party first first party laptop since the Chromebook Pixel was released in 2015. We may also see Google release a pair of headphones with Google Assistant built in. FCC documentation confirmed that HTC will be manufacturing a uh, the the smaller of the two devices, while LG is rumored to build the larger. Both models look to feature an 18 by 9 uh, aspect ratio display, a large camera sensor, and unfortunately for some, no 3.5 millimeter headphone jack. Actually, that was something that Samsung maintained in the Note 8. They decided we were going to keep uh, they were going to keep the 3.5 millimeter headphone jack in that device. So if you're looking for one of those on a flagship, the Note 8 will get it to you. No software news this week, so on to the questions and comments we go. First up, a question from Michael. He writes, Mickey and Joey, on show 584, Mickey casually mentioned that he got a new car and talked about satellite radio ads stalking him across the internet. So what I'd like to know is what was the new auto, his or his wife's, and whether it has CarPlay. I recently rented a car with CarPlay, and I thought the integration with the iPhone was pretty amazing. My 2010 with almost 100,000 miles doesn't have it, and my phone is one of the big drivers causing me to yearn for a new ride. I'm sure in 584 shows, you've talked about integration with cars and phones. Uh, and you can even get the straight DVD-based navigation. Can you even get a straight DVD-based navigation system anymore? Curious uh, for your thoughts on CarPlay and where it's going, Michael. Uh, well, Michael, it is indeed my wife's car and not mine. It's a Toyota, so there is no CarPlay that's integrated. It's just the Intune uh, for integration with apps, although apparently you can do something with Facebook I've never tried. So it's just Bluetooth audio for the music streaming, um, though it is quite nice uh, as far as the integration is concerned. Uh, All of the album information does come across, as well as the album art, so you can see that on the head unit uh, built into the dash, and so you're getting a good on-screen experience for whatever you're streaming. One of the things that has caused some consternation between us is that you can pair multiple devices, as you can with most cars with Bluetooth, but it causes a lot of cutouts, a lot of pairing issues, and uh, some other random problems as you try and actually use it, uh, even when only one device is in the car. So it seems like uh, that's something I've, I, we did some quick searching and saw that that was happening across a uh, number of people. No real answer to that. Seems like iPhones were one of the biggest issues with it. But either way, um, that is, uh, you know, what we're doing is just a, you know, one device again connected over Bluetooth. Uh, regarding, um, you know, the CarPlay, uh, like you, I have rented a car that had it uh, and was somewhat impressed. I didn't find it that it completely fit my needs due to um, some of the apps that I use are non-first party, such as Amazon Music and Google Maps uh, versus uh, Music and Maps. However, I was able to, of course, stream things uh, through it just fine. And the audio from the Google Maps came over just fine as well. Um, But in order to get to actually see what was happening, you had to do, I can't remember what it was. It was, you know, like a car that I had for just 12 hours or something like that. But I do remember having um, like feeling 
that I, I didn't have the best experience because I was using Google Maps versus Apple Maps. But, um, you know, I, I don't know, Joey, I, you know, this is one of those things that, you know, as we as more and more cars start to adopt this, I, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, Android um, CarPlay uh, or Android Auto, excuse me, or Apple's CarPlay, um, th- this is a way that people are going to hopefully get less distracted when driving um, and, and will not be touching their devices and just being able to integrate and, and work through their head units for anything that they need to do while they're on the road. Right. And I, I think that's the, you know, it's obviously coming more and more, but we've got so many cars on the road that do not have it right at this point that uh, it feels like it's going to take forever. Um, you know, it's kind of the same way. I know some of the, uh, I, I've seen some new BMWs now have an option for it. And then some of the new Mercedes have an option for it. And then a lot of other manufacturers, but on the, the flip side, you have to actually usually order the car with this option enabled and it costs extra so the 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 problem is uh most people don't order their own cars and they're not going to have this option enabled because dealers try to keep the car as cheap as possible with the features that the people want to get in the car and i don't think they'll be adding that so it's uh it's going to be tough uh, to actually find this in cars on the road well it or unless it's just the default uh you know and there are a handful of automakers that are doing that but to your point more premium vehicles these are going to be options that are not going to just get integrated in unless the buyer specifically orders the vehicle to have it and i'm guessing that uh, the aftermarket install of this is going to be quite pricey for someone who's looking to do that. Uh, at the very least, it's not going to be something that they're going to just go, oh, yeah, please add on you know, CarPlay for me and I'll spend the extra $1,000 or whatever it is. It's going to be like, well, I can probably get away with just Bluetooth. Right. And some of the systems, of course, it's probably just more like an unlock code where you have to pay to get that to just get it enabled in probably many cars is probably like that. But uh, some they probably won't be. Uh, I know with some of the systems I've seen with CarPlay integrated, switching between the the built in system and the CarPlay or Android Auto is kind of cumbersome. So it's like they kind of encourage you not to use it in some regard because they want you to kind of use their system. And uh, it's it's going to take a little bit longer to shake out. It feels like it's been, you know, taking forever for this to come uh, to vehicles. And it's, uh, it's not a fast process with cars. So the, the Amazon music integration is not terrible uh, in that it showed up as an app on the screen. And so I could go to that and I could choose, I think it was one of the, you could choose recent playlists uh, that you have played, uh, or maybe there were a few other options in there. Perhaps it was just pulling up the music that was under the My Music section of Amazon. But um, either way, it still felt somewhat limited in that you weren't able to do searching for specific songs or create stations off of a specific song or artist. Um, and again, because of course that's all very detailed stuff and they're looking for, you know, very simple stuff to be able to do. But when you look at, you know, what music is become with these streaming services, there's so much more that you can do with a streaming service. You basically have access to just about any song, uh, that's out there and you can create, again, all the things I just mentioned versus just having, you know, a a handful of CDs, uh, you know, built in and all you're trying to do is choose which CD you want to go to and then go to whatever track you want to go to on that you know there again there's there's a lot more nuance to using one of these services so they're they're trying to kind of get that happy medium but I, I do also uh, recall that when I plugged it in, it started playing the music that was built into the music. And this is not unlike what happens uh, when you've got Bluetooth connected uh, to a device. It just kind of like think, looks at it and says, well, I've got an iPod now connected, and so I'm just going to start playing from that. Uh, and so it starts playing the same you know, same song. And for a lot of people, that was U2. It might still be U2 because of the, you know, the, the names of whatever song it was that was on there just kind of hit 
at the top of the list. But, um, you know, that that is something that, uh, you know, still, I think, is going to have to get, you know, further pushed on the agenda of of this before it becomes, you know, really great for a lot of people. Meaning if I can't use Google Maps or I can't use Waze and I'm being forced to use Apple Maps and I don't get that real time traffic information, it's uh, it's not going to use it. People are and that's how a lot of people are going to view this. And so, um, you know, but Michael, to that point. It was also very interesting, uh, like you said, uh, you know, to have uh, all of this information. Um, I was, of course, sent, you know, some screenshots of it to Joey when I was using it at the time and uh, was able to do some interesting, you know, some text messaging uh, from there. You can get messages and I believe it reads them to you. And then it's all done over audio, as I'm sure you you figured out. The other thing that was nice in a rental car is that all you have to have is a cable, plug in the cable to the car and then plug in the cable to the phone. There's no syncing. Uh, you don't have to, you know, add Bluetooth. It's just all functioning back and forth there. And that I find very handy. So I'm hopeful and encouraged that more car makers, uh, more rental car companies will buy cars that have this integration so people can use their devices with the integrated system. Although it might be a potential revenue loss if you're not renting, you know, XM from them. But at the same time, it's it's one of these things that I don't feel like they're, they're really pushing that agenda as much as they were a couple of years back. Right. And it's uh, because everybody's so used to using their phone now. Nobody is you know, the, the, it probably cost them more money to have those things sitting there to, available for rental now than they're actually making on them just because they have to keep updating and they have to, I mean, I doubt they're making them much money because the volume is probably so much lower now because everybody has a smartphone. Now I'm going to be renting a car soon and I'll have to, I'll have to see if I, when I talk to the agent when I get the car, if, uh, if I, rec- if I remember it when I'm there, I'm going to ask about CarPlay and ask if they know anything about it and uh, if they've got any cars that have it and if anyone, you know, asked to have it prioritized. I'm guessing the answer is not, but um, maybe I'll see if that means anything to the person, at least that one individual at that one car rental uh, area that I'm talking to. Uh, finally today, a comment from Antonio. He says, why does Samsung not take care of the Note 7 owners in Canada with the loyalty program that they did like in the U.S.? It's just a slap in the face. Canada buyers of the Note 7 were Samsung's uh, promise uh, to Note owners that they would do something to keep their business, uh, Antonio. So what he's referring to is, I think it was either a $450 credit that Note 7 owners were given towards the purchase of a Note 8. So if you happen to stick by them, they were going to give you a credit. And that's only here in the U.S. And so, yeah, and Antonio brings up a good point. You know, Canada or other areas around the world where Notes were sold, uh, why they are not taking care of those owners is kind of a slap in the face. It is. There could be legal reasons for it. Uh, it, it, it there, there could be some laws against doing things like that. There Sometimes they, they work in strange ways. That would be one reason I could possibly think of why they wouldn't do it. Yeah, I guess. Uh, you know, potentially there's... Um, uh, there, there's something that we just don't know, um, you know, that hasn't come up yet. Maybe there is uh, a program that will get announced, but, um, you know, it is it, it is unfortunate for those that purchased it and want to stick by Samsung and are sitting there looking at the Americans going, well, that's nice that you got all this credit on this new phone. I'm going to have to pay that much more for mine. Right. No, it's, it's absolutely ridiculous for anybody. So I, I suppose we'll sit and wait here and maybe they will be able to announce something soon, hopefully, because... Uh, obviously, you know, people who had the Note 7 really, really liked the Note 7 until, uh, it, unless they had a problem with theirs. And uh, it was, uh, you know, very unfortunate because what was really, uh, to me, it's kind of shocking considering how many Android choices are out there. 
how many people had Note 7s and how big of a deal it was to get all the, the Note 7s back and recalled. They sold a lot of those in a very short period of time. And, uh, you know, good for Samsung for making a product that people want to have. And uh, unfortunately, it hit one of their, you know, one of their most popular ones. And uh, it, it really is uh, goes to show people really like that device. People like the Note. If they've used it, they're buying extra ones. You know, people were after they had to send their Note 7s back, they're going back to older versions of the Note and using those and, you know, sticking it out and waiting for this new version to come out. So, you know, good on Samsung for uh, taking and in, in putting in as much as they possibly could and making it as as, as good as they possibly can. Um, I, I feel very confident that they're going to have, um, you know, little or no uh, issues with the battery on this one just based on the amount of testing I'm sure they have done to ensure that, you know, something like that doesn't ever happen again to them. So, uh, but again, thank you very much, Antonio, for that comment. If you have any questions or comments for us, we'd love to hear from you. Send us email to questions at the cell phone junkie.com or give us a call 650-999-0524 and we'll get whatever you have to say on a future show. Joey, thank you very much as always for your time. We'll talk to you later. Thanks for listening. For more information about the stories you've just heard, visit us at thecellphonejunkie.com.